Well, there are several reasons to be optimistic about Dan Lanning's future as Oregon's head football coach, but one of them is I think Oregon was just a better team in 2022 than they were in 2021. And I'll tell you why. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch the show. Rate, review, five stars or four stars if you think that's the kind of show it is. That's a blue chip prospect either way. I would be good with it. Plenty to get to today, including the run of Oregon baseball. My goodness. What a run it is for Mark Wazikowski's team. But we begin with this premise. I was talking with one of you about this. I just knocked my chapstick over. Great start to today's show. I was talking with one of you about this uh, a few days ago, a week ago. Time blurs together at this point, especially in these summer months as we await the return of football. But whether or not Oregon was a better team in 2022 or 2021. And I think the answer is 2022. I think when you discuss that in the context of Dan Lanning's future as Oregon's head coach, I think what you're looking at is a guy who in one year did improve the team. Now, did the record improve? Technically, yes. Technically, no. Right? It was a 10-3 and record, better winning percentage, but he didn't get to the Pac-12 championship game, so there's one fewer game played, and they were 10-4 and the year prior. Right? Basically the same record. 10 wins. No conference championship. Now, Mario's 10-win season in 2021, it was all regular season. Lanning got his 10th win in the bowl game against North Carolina. Kind of helps that he was actually around for that, whereas Mario had already departed. So kind of a different situation there. But when I think about whether or not 2021 or 22 Oregon's uh, football team was better, to me, the answer is pretty clearly, actually, 2022. And a couple of reasons why. Number one, you won the games that you were supposed to win big by a large margin. That's, an, that's, that's not an insignificant thing. I was actually talking about this a couple days ago with my brother, and we were reminiscing. We were talking about college sports with a friend, and we were reminiscing about the Chip Kelly days and about how, oh, it was great. You had to get to the game by start time because it was usually over by the half, and there was nothing like that. And now we look back at that time and realize just how rare, uncommon, and amazing that all was. So when you think about what Oregon did a season ago, if you were a great team, it doesn't mean every game is going to be a blowout, even if you're a great team, right? Oregon's best teams, the, the two that have been in the national championship game, 2010, you had a close game against Cal on the road. And in 2014, they lost to Arizona at home, by the way. They had a close game with Michigan State. Like, not every game is going to be a blowout. It's why getting to the playoff in the national championship game is so darn difficult. There are just a lot of good teams out there. A lot of things have to go your way. But if you are a great team, you should have blowout easy victories. And Oregon in 2021 ultimately won a lot of games. But think about the Arizona game. Think about the Cal game. Again, two years ago, 2021. Think about even the end of the UCLA game, right? They storm back. They go down 14-0. They're up late in the game. They let UCLA back into it. 
and they have to clinch the game against a backup quarterback with a late-game interception from D.J. James. Those sorts of things, not being able to put opponents away, not being able to beat teams by the margin you should, was in fact indicative of how good the team was. It was a good football team, don't get me wrong. You don't win that many games, I don't care who you're playing, if you're not at least a good football team, if you're doing it at the Power 5 level. But then you played a really good football team in Utah. And we all remember what happened that year, right? And that's one of the biggest other indicators as to why I think we should feel optimistic about Lanning's coaching prowess right now and whether or not he is a guy that can be in charge of a program that wins at a high level, that is successful, whether he's got the schematic prowess. We know he's got the recruiting prowess. My goodness, it's just taken off in ways that even I didn't think it would be at this point in time. And I still feel like the best is yet to come. We're going to get to recruiting on uh, tomorrow's episode with Brian Smith. But I feel great about where you know Lanning is. He's still got plenty to prove, by the way. We remember those stumbles. I mean, we can talk about Tosh Lupoy as a defensive coordinator or you know Dillingham's play calling at the end of the Oregon State game or this, that, and the other thing. But it's not as if Lanning has no culpability for how those games played out. The teams were not ready for those circumstances. They were ready for other ones in ways that they weren't the prior year, which is, which is part of my argument here. If you are a good football team or a great football team and you have a talent gap between you and the other side, culturally, mentally, you have the ability to show up, play to your maximum potential, and look like a dominant football team. How many times in 2021... Right? If you think that team was better than last year's team, which is not something I think, but I understand how you could have that opinion. How many times did Oregon blow out a team that year? Yes, they went on the road and they beat Ohio State because they were a good football team. I am not here arguing the 2021 team absolutely stunk. But why was Stanford, now we didn't have Joe Moorhead in that game, maybe it's different, but still, why was Stanford ever even close? Why were Cal and Arizona hanging around at Autzen Stadium? Because it was a good team, not a great team. And I think last year's team was closer to being a great team because they looked the way that great teams do against opponents that they should beat pretty comfortably. Arizona, Ty Thompson got into the game. Cal, I think Ty Thompson got into that game too. It wasn't close at the end. You look at the BYU game, right? Cougars were hot, ranked 12th at the time. The score at one point was 38-7. to right? You just go down the list and look at those games and say, I think that's a measured sign of growth. And the other thing, too, when I watched last year's team is I saw a lot of the same defensive issues that, that plagued the Ducks in 2021. Right There was actually some statistical growth, but it you know, was mostly the same. Third down defense was bad. Pressure without Thibodeau was, without Thibodeau was bad. Giving up uh, too many passing yards and times. All that stuff kind of persisted. And when you think about what Lanning was dealing with a season ago, yes, he had a lot of his own players who he'd brought in via the transfer portal. But a lot of the guys on that roster were holdovers from the year before. And that's why year two is going to be such an interesting test for Lanning because you have now overhauled such a significant portion of the roster that you don't have that. And I don't think Lanning would ever use it as an excuse because you have some talented players there, right? 
Guys that were recruited by the previous administration, like Brandon Dorless, are going to be key clogs in this year's team. Troy Franklin was a previous uh, was a previous coaching staff's recruit, right? There's still some players like that, so it's not as if there wasn't any talent a year ago. But it might not have been exactly the team, you know, stylistically that Lanning wanted to establish, that Lanning wants to have, because he and Mario Cristobal, newsflash, are different coaches. And I think they have different visions about how you win a football game, about how you play offensively. And yeah, that 2021 team could wear you down, but last year's team could do that too. They ran the football really, really well. So I get about the same defense in 2022. I get the same offense, but with an explosive passing game, right? A wildly successful running game, mobile quarterback, but I've got a better vertical dimension to it, but I run the ball every bit as effectively as I did the prior year, which is what led to their success. Special teams, oh, okay, yeah, wasn't really great either year. You had, except for Camden Lewis, of course, but that was a struggle for the Ducks in both those seasons, another area where they need to grow. And then I look at just how they played against teams that, I mean, look at the Utah. Look at the Utah matchup, for instance. That Utah team, back-to-back Pac-12 champions, wildly similar and yes we were at home at Autzen Stadium but that's not accounting for the the routes and the blowouts that we saw once in Salt Lake City and once down in Las Vegas that's not entirely accounting for that I think that and some of the other games and what they brought to the table offensively was indicative of Oregon being a better football team than than they were in 2021 this past season I think that's a sign of optimism for landing as a head coach and yes I want to see them take another step forward and another step forward. And I want Lang to be a better coach and, you know, know when he can go, when he should go for it, when he shouldn't go for it. Make a mistake here, make a mistake there, how to make adjustments, all this sort of stuff. I think that can all add up and continue to move in a positive direction for the Ducks. And uh, Oregon baseball has been moving in a positive direction. Your bank account could move in a positive direction if you go check out FanDuel. Because if you know what you're doing... You should make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Or if you just want to get into it. I mean, sports betting is a big thing right now because FanDuel has got everything you need. And right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. They have great promotions every day. Safe, secure, super easy-to-use app. You get paid instantly, and there's no better place to bet the NBA Finals than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Get a no-sweat-first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. All righty. So, first of all, segment two, sip of water. As is tradition. All you everydayers on YouTube out there, you've probably noticed by now this is a new setup. Get used to seeing it because it's going to come up quite a bit this summer. Uh, Not entirely sure how much, but yeah, we'll just we'll just we'll just leave it at that. Uh, I'm I'm somewhere else, not uh, not currently in Utah, but my location shall remain secret. Okay, anyway, so let's let's shout out Oregon baseball here. Let's do more than shout out. Oregon baseball, because holy smokes, what a season they are having. They are in a super regional for the first time since 2012. They have a chance to go to the College World Series. And Oregon baseball can indeed 
win it all. I am not guaranteeing they will win it all. I'm not even saying they should be the betting favorite to win it all. But college baseball, a great sport, by the way. So is softball. I'm a big fan of both. I would love to do uh, broadcasts for those one day. Something I'll talk about to wrap up today's show, uh, courtesy of one of your guys' mailbag questions. But Oregon baseball right now is in a position where they are red hot. And when you look around at the way the landscape of this sport works this time of year, anybody really can beat anybody. Baseball is just a funny game like that. You are seeing unranked teams beat top five teams. In college football, end of the season, that's not happening. Beginning of the season, if, if, if preseason prognostications are incorrect, it can absolutely happen. But at the end of a college football season, you cannot find an unranked team that could beat a top five team. Now, college basketball, you can see it there. But college baseball, it feels like it's almost a 50-50 proposition. So Oregon was in the Nashville Regional, for those of you who don't know. there was uh, It was hosted by Vanderbilt, a team that's won the College World Series, by the way. Well, not necessarily the specific team, but a program that has done so. They've had some high-level players come out. They had uh, Kumar Rocker come out last year, and there was that whole fiasco with the Mets because they're the Mets. They're just, they, you know, the Mets. I just think of the family guy with Stewie. Um, opening day, here's the first pitch, and the season's over. And then he throws his Mets hat on the ground. It's a classic, classic family guy moment. Anyway, so I was going to bust out a Stewie voice, but, you know, he didn't have a line there, so that'll just have to wait for another day. But... Vanderbilt was a great program. They were the number six team in the country. Oregon didn't even end up playing them in the regional final. They ended up playing Xavier, who they went 6-0 and against this year. So they get there, and I forget who the, who the fourth team was that Vanderbilt beat. But so we beat Vanderbilt, then we beat Xavier, and then we're in the regional final, and we end up playing Xavier again. We run them out of the ballpark 11-2. Riku Nishida is the Nashville Regional MVP. If you haven't seen this guy play, he's awesome. He uses a wood bat. He, he's, he's the classic. I, I mean, he is everything that you want in a second baseman. Small, scrappy, fast, little power. Not a lot, but maybe a little every now and then. Line drives. Ju- I mean, he just serves the ball left, right, and center field. He, is, he had an outstanding regional, very deserving of being the MVP here. I love, I love watching him play, and I'm not the only one who loves watching him play. So the other reason this is a big deal is the Super Regional is going to be in Eugene. Your audio did not cut out. I just felt like that needed to have a little bit of a pause. Because that's a big deal. And I hope when I turn on the game, I believe it's this Friday. Uh, I, I forgot to double check before I came here on, uh, on the show, but I'm pretty sure it's Friday. I would love, absolutely love to turn on the TV, see Oregon baseball, playing in a Super Regional, and boy, I would love to see that place packed to the brim. That'd be pretty neat. It is on Fridays when it starts. So it's a best two out of three now. And they're taking on Oral Roberts. You may remember Oral Roberts from such runs as a Sweet 16 birth, courtesy of their 15 seed status 
a couple years ago in the NCAA tournament. They beat Ohio State, and then I forget who they played in the second round. That Oral Roberts, their baseball team, is, is having quite the year. It's a best two out of three, Oregon and Oral Roberts. Winner goes to the College World Series. And, and, and this is the longest I've talked about baseball all season long here on the show. But they're absolutely deserving of this sort of attention because they're having an outstanding season. Mark Wazikowski has built them into a consistent contender and player in the Pac-12. They won the Pac-12 tournament, carried that momentum over into their regional. And a good way to think about this, for those of you who don't follow college baseball quite as much, is they're essentially now in the Sweet 16. There are 16 teams left, and the top eight will end up go, you know the winners of the of the eight super regional matchups where which are a best of 3 they will go to Omaha and the College World Series and if if you're also new to the baseball scene here Oregon's pitching has had some high highs and some low lows but they were really really good in that regional and that's the key if they pitch well they will win. They will win the they will win the super regional at the very least. It it like everything is a toss up now. Like I was saying earlier, everybody can beat everybody. You go into a game, if you see an unranked team against 12th ranked team, it doesn't matter. Okay, none of it matters. Which is why I started this rant with with my take that Oregon can win the college world series. This is absolutely possible. And these dudes can hit the baseball. It's not just Nishida up and down the lineup. These guys can swing the bat. I mean, Ceballos and Tanner Smith, and just you just keep going. They have got so much power, average, discipline, pop, timely hitting. that They have been jumping on teams early, giving their pitching some cushion, and they have just been hitting the daylights out of the ball. And I absolutely love to see it. I love college baseball. I love college softball. You know, the, the softball team, by the way. Oregon's one of very, very few programs to have a baseball and a softball team both make a super regional in the same year. That happened for them this year because the softball team got out of the Fayetteville super regional against Arkansas and ended up losing to Oklahoma State, who fell the other day in the Women's College World Series to Tennessee, uh, I believe it was. And, you know, that, like, that's a really, really tough team. That could happen to Oregon baseball here. But they're in a position. They, biggest thing they got. I don't know if any of you watch the West Wing out there. I know I have some older listeners or viewers. I appreciate all of you no matter what age you are. Like, I seriously, seriously do. And those of you who watch the West Wing may remember the iconic Josh Lyman scene where he's running. Uh, I think he's still working for the Bartlett administration. No, you know, it's when he, it's when he's uh, the campaign manager for for Matt Santos and he comes out of the door just getting off the phone. He heard some polling numbers and he goes, we got momentum, baby. We got the big mo. The big mo. OK, baseball is about the big mo. And right now, Oregon's got the big mo. Pac-12 tournament champions. They come out of a regional with a past College World Series champion in, in Vanderbilt. They're hitting well. They're pitching well. Mercado is back into the fold. Logan Mercado, one of their best pitchers this year. He battled an injury. He's 
you know, working his way back. I, I am, I am loving what I'm seeing right now. And again, I'm not guaranteeing anything because you can't guarantee anything. But that is why Oregon has a chance here. This is a wildly unpredictable sport. They they can hit the ball. That is what you can guarantee. Don't expect them to win a game two to one. That's not their mo. But Mark Wazikowski teams have got a clear identity. They hit the baseball and they hit it as often as they can. And this team is doing that right now. And they are playing with a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger, a lot of emotion. They're in a super for the first time since twenty twenty or since uh, twenty twelve. To be hosting that is awesome. Get your butts to Eugene this Friday. Pack the house. I cannot wait. Okay. Let's move into the mailbag for uh, today. Again, you can always be part of the mailbag, as everydayers out there know. YouTube comments, drop one there. I monitor those every day. Or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. This is from Kylie Hudson. Do you think people will stop doubting the ducks after they stomp USC? I love the energy of this question. The defense is far better than the USC offense. I don't know if I agree with that. Ducks offense is better than the USC defense. I definitely agree with that. Playing at home this year, Ducks are going to win and take USC completely out of the conversation. Lanning didn't come here to play slap and tickle. I think that's I think that's been established. It's a pretty physical football team. We saw the physical jump again going back to that Utah game. 76 to 17 in two games. Allowed 10 points on the defensive side of the ball this year at Autzen Stadium. Uh, and then she says, as a, and as a follow-up, if it's clutch time, I think crunch time is a better word, but clutch time works, and USC is driving or clutch time and Oregon is driving, which defense makes the critical stop, USC or Oregon? I don't see a Trojan defense making a stop, do you? So the USC game is going to be big time. I mean, I think the energy at Autzen Stadium, I can safely say, is going to be electric, not just because it always is, but because it's the last time USC is going to be in that stadium as a Pac-12 school, they're already kind of public enemy number one for all Pac-12 schools, right? Obviously, Washington's number one. Oregon State's probably number two. Curious if anyone disagrees with me there, but I think it's Oregon or Oregon's biggest rivals are Washington one, Oregon State two. But USC is probably third. Uh, we've had some amazing games with USC over the years. Last time we played them was the Pac-12 championship game in 2020. It went pretty well. Uh, the defense played quite well in that game. And the offense played just well enough. But if, if you know, the, the question about doubting the Ducks, I don't think anyone's doubting the Ducks right now. Their preseason win total is tied for the highest in the Pac-12, which has got the most teams with a win total of uh, eight or above of any conference in the country. So, I think people are catching on to the fact that the Pac-12 is going to be really fun, really exciting, and highly competitive this year. But I think if you beat USC at that point in the season, if you have, I mean, if you have no losses, of course, it's huge. But if you only have one loss at that point in time, I don't care, you know, who it's to, right? As long as it's not somebody bad. Let's say Oregon has one loss going into that USC game. If you were to make a statement victory like that, if you're sitting on the outside looking in of the college football playoff discussion, a win against USC, especially if it's, you know, the way Kylie is saying here with a lot of confidence, if it's a stomping, if it's a statement kind of victory, right? Jerry Allen circa 2010 against Stanford, statement, statement, statement. If it's something like that, that's how you go from 
being in the eight to nine range to, ooh, we're in the four to five range, or ooh, we're in the two to three range, right? If we're sitting sixth in the polls for the last couple of weeks, and then you beat USC, I think that is going to be the sort of game that can boost you up the rankings in the college football playoff in this final iteration of the four-team format, which, of course, we all know I lament, but hey, that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do about it at this point in time. It could be a huge, huge boost for the Ducks. Now, to your other points, I, I respect the confidence here. I, I really do. But Oregon's defense, I expect to be vastly improved, will not be better than the USC offense. I am all in on Caleb Williams. I think that guy is, as many people have said, the closest thing to Mahomes we've had since Mahomes. I, I, I don't see anything in the toolbox that he doesn't have. He can make plays from the pocket. He makes audibles correctly. He throws on the move. He's got a laser for an arm. He is accurate. He, he does everything well. And I want the Seahawks to end up with him. Unfortunately, I see now that's not going to happen. And I don't know what's... Well, I don't need to get into the Seahawks here. Of course, this is a Ducks podcast. But if, if, if Caleb Williams is healthy for that game, it's going to look like Georgia and Ohio State, right? And it's not necessarily, you know, it, it's an offensive era of football, right? Offense dominates. So it could very well look like the Georgia-Ohio State semifinal, which was an amazing game, by the way. But that vaunted Georgia defense with all their talent, you had a top five NFL quarterback on the other side with first round wide receiver talent, with a smart offensive coach, and the game was a shootout. And that's what it would end up being. I cannot see both teams being under 30 points in that game. Now, USC has added a couple notable transfers on their defensive line. Bear Lucas or Bear Alexander from Georgia and Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, both former five-star recruits. That will help. But I'm not all in on USC's defense suddenly becoming a dominant unit. That game has the makings of being a shootout. I think it'll look a lot like the Washington game a season ago, and it'll come down to a play or two here and there. I, I think it could very much be like that. But just I, like I, I don't expect to beat USC by a bunch. But then again, with that, you know, Jerry Allen call against uh, Stanford with a Michael James breaking free for a late touchdown, I didn't expect to beat that Stanford team by 20 points either. And that ended up happening at Autzen Stadium. That's going to be a big-time game. It's going to be a big, big-time game, and it'll be a big-time opportunity for the Ducks as well. And then to your second question here, Kylie, uh, if it's clutch time and USC is driving, which defense is more likely to make the stop? I'm leaning Oregon here. I, I'm, I'm leaning Oregon all the way because I've got Dan Lanning on that side of the ball. Now, which offense would I trust more? USC. I, I, I would, even though I like our offense a lot. Late-game situations... It is about coaching, making the right play calls, having the right personnel on the field, understanding the situation. I'm going to lean landing on the defensive side of the ball. Even though they had some questionable moments last year, I think they're poised to take a step forward. But offensively, yeah, I don't know what Will Stein is yet. I'm optimistic about what he can become as Oregon's OC. But Lincoln Riley is sharp. Lincoln Riley is really, really sharp and really, really good. I think it's going to be an exciting game and it could come down to which defense can make more stops on the other side because I don't think there are going to be a, a ton in, in that particular game. But great question, Kylie. Love it. Love the matchup stuff. And obviously, 
you know, I host Locked On Pac-12. I talk about these teams a lot. I'm fairly well versed in them, although it's you know kind of locked on Pac-12 realignment at this point. But I I've, I love talking about the matchups and all that sort of stuff. So by all means, keep the questions coming on that front. Let's close with this one from Eric. Thanks for sharing about your process and your background recently about how I uh, dive into you know making a podcast every day or as often as I can. What's your dream job in sports broadcasting? My guess taking over for Jerry Allen is the voice of the Ducks. What is my dream job in broadcasting? Yeah, it, it's pretty hard for me. I, I I have thought about this a great deal. And I actually, before I came in here and recorded the show, thought about how complicated it would sort of be. But then I figured out a workaround of sorts. I would like to have Dave Pash's job one day. So Dave Pash is a great play-by-play guy for ESPN. He does college basketball, college football, and the NBA. Those would be the three best sports. Basketball is my favorite sport to do play-by-play for, and college football would be a very, very close second. So being that as it is, and he does some big-time radio stuff for ESPN too, Dave Pash is also the radio voice uh, for play-by-play for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, if I were one day, God willing, the radio voice of the Ducks taking over for Jerry Allen, which would, in fact, be a component of my dream job, I would also like to have national TV contracts. Like that is 100% a lifelong goal of mine is to call national college football and basketball on television. Now you see how that could get kind of tricky, right? Is if I'm calling an Oregon game, but then the thing I thought about with a workaround is there are big time games on Thursday and Friday as well. You know, for, for during the college football season, Oregon's got to buy. Maybe Oregon plays uh, on a Thursday or a Friday or something like that. So not sure how all that would work out, but that'd be kind of my dream balance is being the radio guy for the Ducks. I would love to still be hosting the show at that point in time as well because, gosh, I love this stuff and it's really, really fun. And, and calling nationally televised uh, college football and March Madness games. And I have had the good fortune of calling a March Madness game. I was doing the home radio broadcast for the Southern Utah women against Notre Dame this year, but getting to the network television side of that, uh, would be, would be pretty neat. That's kind of what, that's kind of what I'm chasing. Right. And you all help, help me be a part of that. Uh, seriously, you, you do like, this is, you know, something that I do to, to try and make myself a better broadcaster and also to entertain you as much as I can and keep you up to date on the ducks. So we'll close it there for today. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for the questions. Send them in. And until next time, as always, go ducks.